you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to continue over the last couple of weeks. And welcome you with us. If you're visiting with us for the first time, there's a welcome card in one of the chairs in front of you. Feel free to, to fill that out. You can throw it in a bowl or give it to one of the, the greeters in the back. Uh, Caitlin's got a special friend with her here today, and welcome from North Point Bible College. So welcome, Dan. I'm not trying to put you on the spot or get you embarrassed, but there'll be plenty of time for that. So, um. <laughs> Caitlin knows well, so um, don't worry, I won't give any dad jokes, so we're okay. Um, but good to have you all with us here this morning. Amen. How many people are glad to be in the house of God? Um, how many people are even more glad to be the house of God? to be a dwelling place of God's spirit. Um, there's something about Jesus. And I was just recently heard something um, that our primary goal is not just to communicate information as, as pastors and teachers, uh, but is actually to get people excited about Jesus, really to want a deeper walk with him. And that's always my desire and goal. You know, it's, sometimes we, we try to put together our fancy sermons and our fancy speeches, and we use our illustrations, all these different things to, to really look good. And there's always that temptation, depending on who's in the, in the audience as well. Sometimes you, pastors feel those pressures from, from different uh, positions, and you've heard it from, from pastors of large churches, and then all of a sudden a dignitary or somebody's in there, and all of a sudden there's, there's, there's feelings start to start to come in. And we always have to, we have to let those things be set aside, no matter what we are in our life. Our life should be consistent no matter who is in our presence. And, and where we are, whatever we're doing, our life should have a consistency to it. And, uh, and the goal always within our life as believers in Christ is always to point people to Jesus and to, to whet their appetite or their thirst, as it were, to want to know this Jesus. Amen? And that's really our desire. Our desire is really to know him more. That's our goal in life is to, to want to know him more and to make him want to be knowable uh, because of the expression through our lives. Because we've been given that opportunity, as Paul wrote, that we're living epistles and we're known and read of all men. And so we should have a consistency in our life, whether we're in the workplace, whether we're in a hotel all by ourselves, or whether we're behind a pulpit, our life should have consistency to it, no matter what it is, if we're in the kitchen or, or raising our kids, that there should be consistency to our life. And, and, uh, and so over the last couple of weeks, um, we've been talking about being imitators of God, uh, learning to walk circumspectly, redeeming the time. And last week I, I shared with you, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and, and it's become basically a theme in my, in my life, really just kind of take an evaluation of everything, that we need to learn to master the mundane so that we can maximize the moment. We need to learn to master the mundane so that we can maximize the moment. And so we can entitle the message this morning, either redeeming the time or mastering the mundane. And either one, uh, what is mundane? Mundane is the ordinary, not all that exciting, the humdrum. In fact, as you look at it in the, in the definition, Webster's defined it as that which is relating to this world. And yet we're in this world. And Jesus didn't take us out of this world, even when he saved us. He left us in the world. But he said, don't be like the world, even though you're in the world. So we've got to learn to operate in the world in the things that are ordinary with a way that's superior than the ordinary. So learning how to master the mundane, even though we've been given over to, the reality is, I know sometimes we don't like it, we've got to work a job, because if you don't work, you don't eat. 
And sometimes you've got to do things you don't necessarily want to do. There's, there's aspects of our life that are lacking in excitement. We always want the, the things that are filled with all types of the fanfare, but the reality is most of our life is lived in the ordinary. But when you learn to master the ordinary, you'll find that God often puts along your path appointments that you could miss if you didn't learn how to master the mundane. That God wants us to learn how to live our life well. Amen? He wants us to live our life well. So I had you turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Read verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Be imitators of God as dear children. He goes on to talk about walking in love as Christ has loved us and given himself as a sweet, uh, sweet sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. Goes on and instructs us to, to put away behaviors that are unbecoming. Uh, the first one, fornication. Uh, the Greek word for fornication is actually the word pornea, from which we get our English word pornography. You know what's going to ruin your life is, is becoming sensual. Because what happens is you, you're in the world, and now you're getting enveloped in the world. You're getting pulled down by the world, and it's tough to see outside of it. And the ordinary becomes your existence, and you miss every moment. And so you think that God's a million miles away. God wants us to learn how to take control of our desires and to focus our attention heavenward so that we can learn to master our life here on earth. Amen? Isn't that true? I'm not going to read all these verses. I want to jump down to verse 15. I just want to read verse 1 because Paul instructs here to be imitators of God as dear children. You've got to continually remind yourself who you are, that you're a child of God. Amen? We came up and prepared for worship this morning, that song. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Right? I'm a child of God. John said in the first chapter of his gospel account, we were born not of man. We weren't born in the will of man. But we were born of God. We were born of God. You must be born again. And when you were born of God, a transaction took place in your life, and you are now what you were not once. And the life before you has to it a heavenly glow, even though it's walking through this earth. And God wants us to learn to live in the kingdom. He wants us to learn how to be saturated in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you. It's not in observation, where is this, that, and the other thing. It's not through all these different... It's the reality of understanding. So many people... So many people are just waiting, 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 waiting until they just, just dry up and die. And God wants us to understand that, that our waiting is, is active participation in the life of God. The kingdom of God is present, is within you. Amen? That we are, we are participants in the life of God, that we don't have to just sit and wait for something to happen, that you have the life of God inside of you right now. If you're a child of God, the Spirit of God is living inside of you right now. The kingdom of God has come inside of you right now. That there is so much going on inside of you that is so dynamic, that has the power and ability to transform lives. 
situations and scenarios. I mean, literally, the power of God within one person's life has the ability to transform nations. It does. We often don't think that way. We think, well, that's for somebody else. But listen, the 120 who were in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, they were nobodies. God didn't go out and pick the best of the best. In fact, they were, they were too occupied with their own lives. He took individuals. The first few disciples that he chooses are fishermen. And the, 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 the waves that started in Acts chapter 2 continue to roll today. I was reading through E. Stanley Jones. He says, we, we often miss these called the Acts of the Apostles. It's not really the Acts of the Apostles because the Acts that trans- took place, it was the Acts of Jesus Christ to his Holy Spirit, and it still rolls today. The work of the Holy Spirit is still at work. The acts of the Holy Spirit are still at work. The apostles are long gone. Their, their light has were, been enjoyed for a season, but it's been, it's been extinguished here on this earth. But the Spirit of God is still moving. Puts an end to cessationism. The Spirit of God is still moving today. The move of God is still as real today as it's ever been. Amen? He says in verse 15, See then, that you walk circumspectly, not as, wise, not as fools, but as wise. That word circumspectly, we, over the last couple of weeks, we, we shared that that word literally means accurately or perfectly. See that you walk accurately or perfectly. Not as an unwise person or a fool, but as wise. Now, the word fool there is in direct opposition to wisdom, it just uses the negative participle in front of the Greek word for wisdom, sophos. So it's asophos, which means no wisdom. Don't be fools. A fool is an individual who has no wisdom. A wisdom is, is referring to that which is skill or, or the ability to have the right response, to be able to know what to do with the information that's presented to you. It's to have something that's been cultivated within your life to know how to respond. It says of one of the tribes of, of, uh, of Israel, uh, the sons of Issachar, that they had wisdom that was given from God so that in times of, of responsiveness, they knew what to do. They knew what Israel ought to do because God had given them insight and wisdom. God wants us to be a people who can respond to circumstances because we've learned to master the mundane. We've learned to live our lives in such a way that every moment of our life is shaping us and directing us to something greater than just this mundane, ordinary, humdrum moment that our life is being lived ultimately for the glory of God. If we could understand that every moment in our life counts, it would help us to maximize, it would help us to take advantage of It would help us to set aside those pleasures which are temporal. Amen? Verse 16 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. That word redeem literally means to buy, to purchase. And we talked last week and the week before about the fact that God wants us to make sure that we have adequate resource to purchase the things that he's presenting to us that we would not be found wanting in our moment, thus maximizing the mundane so that we can maximize our moment. The word used for time there, uh, the Apostle Paul, is the word kairos, which talks about uh, the, not just the, the quantity of time, but rather the quality of time. Uh, it's we're an appointed time or, or a specific time, a specified time. It's not just time, you know, because the thing about time is when you lose sight of time or you just think about time as a general thing, it just kind of just goes by. 
But when you are preparing for something specific, you know that the training is necessary in order to be prepared in that moment. And I played, you know, athletics, and, and we have college students here, and you know when, when the test has been given or you know a paper is due, that your time is not, no longer your own to do whatever with what you want. You know that now, if your time is not used wisely, then you're not going to maximize the moment. In fact, you're going to miss the moment, right? And so we need to learn that, that in our lives, we're living in such a way, so many people live without discipline in their lives because they're just kind of just going about life as if there were no appointed moments, as if, if there was just like, just time is just something to be squandered, and we don't live as good stewards. How many people know stewardship is something really important to the heart of God? To be a good steward. He wants us to be a steward of the things that have been given to us, steward of our time, steward of our resources, understanding that everything we do in the mundane matters. Because there's time coming when the king's going to return, he's going to lay all his servants out and say, what'd you do? How did you steward what was given to you? What did you do with it? Say, oh, I didn't know there was going to be a test. There's going to be a test, folks. We will all appear before the Bema Seat of Christ. We will all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. We all will, and we'll give an account of what we did while we were in the flesh. How do we live our lives? Do we live disciplined? Do we live as truly as disciples of Jesus Christ? He goes on to say, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, if you walked accurately, now we know accuracy comes through the word of God. Amen? That's where we gain accuracy. How should we live? What should we do? What is my life to look like? Well, God has laid these things out for us. We're not in guessing game. There's a necessity of the word of God. We should hide the word of God within our heart. You see in the bulletin, it uh, shares that... um, we should study to show ourselves approved of God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, that we've learned to rightly divide the word of truth, that this is our reality, that we're living in such a way that we understand, that we're students, we're, we're disciplines, or we're disciples, learning under discipline, a learner under discipline, that, that there's a price, price to be paid in order to perform in the moments that arise before us. And, and that price is really the sacrifices that you make in the, in the mundane and the ordinary in order to see the bigger picture prepare you for those moments when you stand, as it were, as we shared a couple weeks ago with David before a giant, that he had learned how to live a life disciplined, that it wasn't a question whether he could use a sling. It was just a matter of where it was going to be directed. And so as we learn to discipline our life and live our life in such a way that the skills in our life are being honed in those ordinary moments of our life. See, some people are looking for an audience before they actually do something significant. God's looking for you to do something significant before he gives you an audience. There's specific times. There's ordained times. I, I've learned this in my life. I, honestly, I thought some of these ordained times would come quicker in my life. And there's been times in my life where I literally said to the Lord, Lord, I feel like you put me on a shelf like a book. It's just gathering dust. I don't even know what I'm doing over here. And I feel the Holy Spirit compelling me. You better be prepared. You, you don't just sit there and do nothing or just get involved with life. That You need to be preparing for the things that matter because this time is so significant in your life. The, the times in your life where feeling like nothing is really going on. Some people saying, well, it feels like God's a million miles away. Well, it's at that time that you really need to just plug in and press in and plug on and really begin to prepare because God's got something in store. He says it in his word. You might not feel it, but feelings will come. Is anybody with me today? 
E. Stanley Jones, um, he shares that the, the secret actually of mastery is learning that you have a master. And it's really important that we don't get involved in will worship because anytime I share these things about learning how to max, you know, master the mundane, it's not about will worship. It's not me being the most disciplined person in the room. It's not about me you know, having all the right habits and all these other things. It's really about this. Learning how to be a disciple is learning how to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. It's learning how to have a master. Jesus himself said this. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet don't do the things that I ask you to do? That's not lordship. That's not master. You're not going to learn to master moments if you don't learn how to follow in the footsteps of a master. If you want to learn what it is to live a life that's pleasing to God, you just look at the person of Jesus. Everything he did. Every moment he lived. And I just want to remind you of this fact that Jesus didn't start his public ministry until he was 30 years old. I mean, everything about his life just reeked of the ordinary. Though he were the son of God, God himself incarnate. Right? Everything. There was no great show, as it were, for the whole world to see. But for the searching heart, he made known. That's the way God operates. I, I don't always completely get it, but God is really interested in what's going on. I think the whole idea of uh, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Where does that come from? I think I like a lot of it's contingent upon... Is there a receptivity in our life to actually receive the things of God? Most people don't want to be mastered. And therefore, there's no mastery in their lives. I mean, I often talk with people, and, and they'll admit, I'm undisciplined just about every day of my life. And I said, well, I said, that's not the will of God. The will of God is that we be disciplined. We would live disciplined. Amen? Those start in very little, seemingly insignificant moments in our life, right? It's the small things that make room for the big things. It's the... Uh, it's learning how to master unrighteous mammon. Jesus gave a parable in Luke. So you can be actually blessed with greater riches. Amen? Right? If you can't even use money well, why would God give you the gift of healing? Seriously. And God wants us to learn how to take care of the, the things that are of the world and yet not be saturated with the mindset of the world. It's like being transformed by the renewal of our mind, understanding that even the things that have been given to us, they can be mastered, like, like John Wesley, and I often quote, because sometimes Christians get afraid of money, as if money itself is evil. And I've heard people say, money is the root of all evil. I've said, money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Because money itself is just an object. The heart is really the issue. And the love of something comes from the heart. So your heart loves this thing. You can be poor and love money. But John Wesley said this. He said that money's an excellent thing when it's used with excellency. In other words, that, that something that's of this world could be used for good if it's mastered is ultimately what he said, right? Is everybody with me today? Learning how to master the things that are presented before us. The verse before, he said, it's time to wake up from our sleep and arise from the dead because Christ has given us light. It's time for the church to stand up. It's time for us to stand out. It's time for us to live in such a way that God is glorified in the seemingly insignificant areas of our life. What you watch in secret matters because that will prepare you for how you're going to handle true adversity. Right? When you have influence, right? What's going to happen? It happens so often. You see, you know, moral failures take place. You think that just happened in a moment? No, those things were prepared in the secret place. The unknown sins, the sins of the heart, 
The sins that weren't talked about or discussed, those things ultimately, once the audience was gained, then the fallout comes because those big moments come because of your lack of interest or or lack of mastering the moments that are ordinary and common. Is anybody with me today? Redeeming. He goes on to say this, um, and don't be drunk with wine, verse 18, and which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I find the interesting contrast there between being drunk and being filled. They're as opposite as each other as fools and wise. The scriptures tell us that those who get drunk get drunk at night or in the darkness. And um, drunkenness comes upon an individual who's lost sight of the big picture so that the ordinary moments, you've lost all bit of mastery. In fact, in Luke twelve forty five, it says, but and if that servant says in his heart, the Lord delays his coming and shall begin to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he does not look for him and an hour when he's not aware. In other words, he'll miss his moment because he didn't learn how to master the mundane. And he gave himself into drunkenness. Now, the world we live in right now, you can get drunk on more than just wine. You can get intoxicated with entertainment. You can. You can get inebriated by Facebook and social media. Seriously. You could just get sucked in. And I was reading a quote by Philip Yancey, and he was saying he's written dozens and dozens of books. He's, he said his whole entire life's been given to just be an extensive reader and research and all these different things. He says, I find myself at this stage in my life, I have a hard time concentrating. Like literally, the, the world that I'm living in right now is not like the world that I'm used to. Like there was a time where I just dedicated time and I was, I was just a student, but now I find that everything's coming at me so fast all the time, I have a hard time even thinking clearly. That's coming from a... From a from a well-known, established author and Christian. And that's the world we live in right now. And so it's like, how do I find a way to master the mundane by removing the distractions that are in my life? Because there's more than just wine that makes us drunk. But I would encourage you to stay away from wine. Because it doesn't lead to anything good. Especially if you're looking for mastery. And why would you want to dull your senses if, in fact, your senses are supposed to be keen because you're looking for a particular moment? Is there anybody in here that's searching for that moment where you know that God has ordained in your life? Has God has placed or deposited anything in anybody's life in this room today? Like, you know, you're still waiting for it, you know? I'll tell you what, when you wait for something a long time, you enjoy it a lot more. My wife and I were just talking about there's going to be no waste on the fact of, of, of uh, this time of being parents. We, we know how incredible of a gift it is. And I'm, I'm sopping up, I'm eating up, I'm enjoying every single moment of it. I'm not missing it, right? Because I waited long enough, and, and I'm going to enjoy it, and, and it's not going to be lost on us. My wife and I said, we're, it's not going to be lost on us. We're not going to miss this opportunity, and we're going we're to take advantage of it. How much more when you wait for something patiently, and you know it's a promise that comes from God, and it's, it's something that God's given you, just enjoy the pleasures that come from God. And you do that by learning how to live restrained from the pleasures of this world in the process. Amen? Learning how to maximize the moments because we've mastered the mundane. Um, 
excuse me a second. I, um, there's some things I wrote down I don't want to miss. And I wrote, power over pleasure is gained through having a long-term plan. Power over pleasure is gained through having a long-term plan. You know when pleasure gains much power in our life? is when we don't have a long-term plan. It seems like a good moment right now. Just like the, the excessive buy of, of something that's one of those splurge moments where you just bought something that was completely unnecessary, it's because you didn't have a long-term plan. You know? The person who's saving up for a car um, isn't worried about the Blu-ray DVD player or the, or the 55-inch flat screen. Those things have become secondary because there's a, there's a greater plan, there's a long-term plan, and, and the person understands that I want to be ready for those moments that God has prepared for me um, in his life to see his kingdom advanced in my life and through my life that this passing moment of pleasure really doesn't have any significance in light of that, so why would I squander where that's going to lead in the moment? And so in every point of temptation in our life, it really it takes importance that we master the mundane when we actually have an eternal focus, when we really understand the big picture and the big plan, that we're those who are heavenly-minded so that we can master this world. Is anybody with me today? In other words, you need to be in it for the long haul. That's, that's the process of discipleship. Some people say, well, this isn't really going the way I'd anticipated it. Just wait. Just keep doing the things you're supposed to be doing. I can guarantee you, if you keep doing the things you're supposed to be doing, in time, traction will be gained. You've got to be in it for the long haul. He who sets his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Distractions deter us when we lose sight of the big picture and when we live in the moment. The world's living in the moment. That's why during the Super Bowl, the greatest, you know, the, the, the most ads were about alcohol. It's all about living in the moment. There's really no thought of anything more than the passing pleasure. And then all of a sudden the season's over and everybody's depressed. It's because you don't have a long-term plan. So you've got to invent new leagues like the XFL to get people something to do because their whole life is lived you know, through something that doesn't even matter. Let's be serious. Let me just say this. Success is something that you prepare for. It's not something that you fall into. So with this said, I, I just want to pull this in. Discipleship ultimately is mastery, isn't it? Discipleship is ultimate mastery. It's learning how to master your own desires. It's, it's learning how to master temptation. It's learning how to, to master the moments that seem like ordinary, all for the purpose of shaping and molding your life to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. It's about learning that there's a master who's given to us of his own spirit, that we're not left to, without power, that God's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Amen? So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down a, a few keys. This is what discipleship is, or this is what mastery is. And I said we're going to be a little bit practical today. First and foremost, it's preparing. It's preparing. Discipleship is preparing. Amen? We weren't created for this world. We were created for another world. And so all the time you have in this world is actually in preparation for the next. So all the passing pleasures of this life, you can take them. You can have them. All the wealth and all the riches of this world, you can take it, you can have it. Now, if it could be used for the greater of another world or the preparation of another world, then I'll, I'll steward them. 
But in terms of, of really gimme, 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 and the love of all these things, my heart is set on heaven. I don't know if anybody's with me today. I am a stranger and a pilgrim. This world has no hold on us. So discipleship is preparing and planning. Planning. The Lord's been working on my own heart in this aspect of um, really just getting practical. Like, thinking about the big picture of what do you want your life to look like? Like, what type of, what type of life do you want to live? Like, like, what type of example do you want to leave behind, whether it's for your children or, or, or for those who will follow behind you? Do you want it something that's going to be more significant than just this world? I mean, this world possesses more than we could ever even think of. All the books in this world. I mean, just there's so much information and knowledge. I mean, there's just, what, what is the distinguishing factor of something that really was lived well or, or transcends this world? Is it not to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ, the one who created everything for himself and yet transcended this world while he lived in it? Don't you want to have a transcendence about you? Planning. And so I've been challenged on really just being more proactive in, in every aspect of, all right, Lord, what is it, what's next? Like, what are, you, what are you preparing me for? I want to take advantage of this season. It might not look like much right now, God, but I know there's, there's more to it than just this right now. So I want to live my life in such a way that every aspect of my life is lived in preparation or planning, even the mundane and ordinary things. I can find that even, you know, and question arises all the time. I just went, you know, took forever, but finally went for ordination and, um, in the interview process and talking with the presbyters and came up about working uh, secularly and all those different things. And, and, and I know some of these things don't always make sense, but I know that God has used everything in my life for a purpose of a bigger picture and a bigger plan. And all those things are, are being used to shape and mold me for something bigger. Now, the key is always to make sure that you don't hold on to things too long, that you learn the lessons within the framework of which they're supposed to be learned so you don't waste time, if you're with me, but everything in our life is working together for the purpose of preparing us for something more than just the right now. And it will give us the power over pleasure when we live with that type of mindset. Preparing and planning. Everybody's with me, right? Let's look at some more peace this morning about discipleship. How about pursuing? Discipleship's about pursuing. It's an interesting thing, and it's a dynamic of Christianity, which is kind of crazy. It's like you've already tasted that God is good, yet you're in constant pursuit to want to know him more. Right? The Apostle Paul himself, he, he, at the end of his life, he says, not that I've already attained or that I've already been perfected, but this one thing that I do, I forget those things which are behind me and I press towards those things which are before me. I press towards the mark of the upward call which is found in Christ Jesus. And therefore, I discipline my body. I beat it and I make it my slave. So when I preach to others, I myself don't become a castaway. That's the Apostle Paul's language, saying, in other words, there's this, this aspect of pursuit, pursuit. Pastor Gary shared a word several years ago, which I believe was prophetic. He said, and those who are not fulfilling their purpose of pursuit are actually being programmed to persecute. Those who are not fulfilling their purpose of pursuit are being programmed to persecute. In other words, if you're not going hard after God, ultimately you're being set up to stand in antagonism to those who are. And the greatest enemy of the church is going to be the church. And I believe with my heart that's a prophetic word. Because ultimately it's going to be those. Look, who are the greatest antagonists and the enemies of Jesus? Was it not the religious leaders of their day? If you're not pursuing after Jesus to know him and want to know him more, then you are forfeiting 
And you're being set up for something so far worse that you don't even realize. Planning, preparing, pursuing. You need to be particular. Not just anything will do. Like if you're a disciple, you need to be a particular person. Choose your friends wisely. Choose your company wisely. Choose your surroundings wisely. Choose your entertainment wisely. That you're particular. Not just anything will do. You know, I shared this with Caitlin you know, when she was in the process of living with us and wanted to do some discipleship in her life. I said, I've lived with this mantra in my life. Others can do it. I can't. Others can do it. I can't. And to take away the, the aspect of, it's not can't in the sense that I can't, you know, all things are lawful for me, yet not all things are expedient, the Apostle Paul said. All things I could do, but I'm not going to be brought to be slave of anything. And so in other words, other people will do it, I won't. I won't. Are you with me this morning? Like, those who really want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, they're, they're particular about their life. I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm talking about being particular, and there's a distinction, because oftentimes these two things will, will, will kind of cross over one another. The, the lines will be blurred, and people who really aren't pursuing after God will call you a legalist. Be ready for it. I would encourage you not to be a legalist. Would actually, you would live in grace, but your pursuit would be Jesus and him only. And sometimes that looks like legalism. Apostle Paul was blamed for a lot of things. Another P, you need to learn the, the principle of partnering. Partnering. You need to partner with like-minded individuals. You know what? In order to grow to the maximum effectiveness of who you are called to be, you can't do it by yourself. You can't. Now, anytime I quote somebody, I just want to encourage you that I don't agree with all their theology, okay? Just, so if I quote somebody, don't get scared. Everybody's got differences of opinions about everybody. Uh, but I remember hearing T.D. Jakes preaching a message. And he was talking about, you need a sponsor. No one gets to levels of success without a sponsor. In other words, you need someone to help you. And he gave illustrations, Dr. Oz only became Dr. Oz because of Oprah. Opportunities were presented there for them. You need to choose particularly your partners. Who are you going to marry? It's a big one. Biggest decision you'll ever make outside of the decision you made to follow Jesus is who you marry. That's a huge one. Such an important thing. You've got to be particular. But you've got to partner with people who are individual, have the same heart and a mindset as you. How can two walk together unless they're in agreement? You know what will destroy ministry more than anything else is not being on the same page. You need to partner well. Amen. You need, to, you need to learn who to partner together with. You know, you know what drew my wife and me together? It was, well, God. But uh, it was the fact that we were both hungry and, and pursuing after God in a very mediocre Christian setting. We just wanted God. And it caused us to, to develop a relationship because uh, we had a kindred spirit that really we didn't want to just settle for just the, the church scene. We really just wanted Jesus. We really wanted God. We really wanted to move with the Holy Spirit. And that's what drew our hearts together. And it continues to be the pursuit of our life. And why we can walk together is because our heart is this. And, and the things that she cried out for, she understood that, God, I don't want anything that you don't want for me. And so 
and she literally made a list of, of particular characteristics as she was looking in for a spouse because she was going to be particular about who she was going to partner together with. The Bible says, know those who labor among you. But you need partners. You can't do it all alone. You know, we shared about an Acts church before, and, and we used the acronym for Acts. Remember what it was? Accuracy, clarity. You need to be a team player, and you need to be spirit-empowered. You need to be a team player. The church is, is a cooperative fellowship. It is. We're in this together, and we can't do it alone. Next, I want to just say you need a passion. You need passion. Now, something about passion is sometimes people that don't have passion can get passion when God begins to work in their heart, but then there's some people, no matter what you do in their lives, they just lack the passion. It's like, you know, just, it's just not there. The fire's not there, you know? It's like you're stoking that thing, but just nothing's happening. Um, you need passion for Jesus. There's got to be a passionate pursuit of God. Like, you really got to want this more than anything. Like, literally, you got to want it to the point where I don't care if I have to, like, walk through, you know, a, a field of glass on my knees in order to get Jesus, I'm going to do it, you know? It's like, I just want to know Jesus, and I have to have him. you got to have passion. You know, everyone knows Tozer's one of my favorites, and uh, when someone wrote a biography of him, it was called A Passion for God. I love passion. And then finally, you need power for living. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You need power for living. A life that's pleasing to God. You need power for living. Amen? Power for living. And so ultimately, we see in discipleship, we have three things. We have the call. Jesus says, follow me. We have the cost. Jesus says, to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. And finally, we have the commission to go into the world and make more disciples. We have the call, we have the cost, and we have the commission. This is the, this is the engagement of discipleship that we are on, learning how to master the moments in our life of the mundanity, the, the humdrum, the ordinary, that God is doing something in those things. He's preparing you for something so much far greater. It was in a moment of people seeking God, that God showed up in a dynamic way that was unprecedented and transformed the whole world in Acts chapter 2. My question is, are you going to be in the right place? The risen Christ appeared at one point to 500 people, yet there were only 120 in the upper room. Do you think maybe they had squandered the moments that they had, that they missed their moment rather than maximizing it? Don't you want to be aligned to God's will so that you can take advantage of the situation as it arises? Anybody in this room want to maximize their moment? Don't you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Don't you want to see the purpose of God fulfilled in your life? Don't you want to live out your days in such a way that at the end it could say he was faithful to God, she was faithful to God? Amen? I want to close this morning. I... um, was looking for a particular book on my bookshelf, and I didn't even know this was in my bookshelf. Garrett gave me a stack of books before he left for Israel. And in the book was Mastery, E. Stanley Jones, The Art of Mastering Life. I said, wow, that's convenient. And um, I didn't even know it was in my... But I picked it up and said, well, this is good stuff. E. Stanley Jones was an evangelist and a missionary for 70 years, 
traveled all over the world, was a statesman, had impact in world leaders. And he says, the art of living is the least learned of all arts. Humankind has learned the art of existing, of getting by somehow with the demands of life, of escaping into half answers. But we know little about the art of living, about being able to walk up to life with all its demands, humbly conscious that we have within us mastery that is able to face the business of living with adequacy. That is life's central lack. All others are marginal lacks. The modern person knows everything about life except how to live it. There are two great human needs. Light on the mystery of life and life for the mastery of life. Light on the mystery of life and life for the mastery of life. In other words, why are we here? Is light on the existence of life. And he says we've come to the conclusion through scientific discovery of other things that In fact, I'll read just one more paragraph. We've made a great deal of progress in finding light on the mystery of life through the discoveries of science in the realm of physical universe, mental universe, and the spiritual universe. We know a lot about life. We see its mechanisms, its workings, as no other age has seen them. Granted, he wrote this in 1955. We're enlightened, but I question whether we're more enlivened. We're more nervous, more jumpy, more twitchy, more tense, but I question whether we're more enlivened. To be really enlivened is to be possessor of an inner life adequate to meet our life with joy and confidence. That is lacking. Our light has outrun our life. We thought to analyze our problems was to solve them, but to know is not necessarily to know how to live. We need life for the mastery of life. But even that is inadequate unless you put it this way. We need life with a capital L for the mastery of life. We need life for the mastery of life. God wants us to learn how to master the mundane. And I close with, I opened up to a daily devotional that says this, a gift producing spontaneity. We saw, uh, I'm sorry, the simpler art of drinking, one page. We pause a little longer on this matter of receptivity. It's the secret of victory. The only secret I know, Jesus said, all who believe in me should drink. John 7, 38. The difference between believers is this. Some just believe and some believe and drink. They know how to take, to receive, to drink. Hence, they never thirst. Some are always thirsty for they just believe. They assent to Jesus, but they don't assimilate Jesus. Their minds believe, but their hearts don't receive. I'm closing this is this. You can have good preaching, but if you don't receive it, it doesn't do you any good. It's just more information that just leads to more of the mediocrity of your own life. I know of a missionary, a very dear friend, who became a world figure. He was leaving India discouraged and beaten. He was ardent and zealous but exhausted. For while he believed, he did not know how to drink. At a zero hour, when he was about to give up and leave India as a failure, he saw this passage, really saw it. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never thirst again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it like a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life, John 4, 13 and 14. The missionary began to drink, began to accept the resources of God and to live by them. Instead of leaving India, he went straight into its soul with adequacy and with power. He had enough to spare and thousands were converted through him. Three young men converted through him became leaders of the Christian movement in India and one of them led a movement which brought over 200,000 to Christ. 
I heard him say years ago, for 35 years I had never had a blue or a discouraged hour. Those who know him know it's true. There is one simple secret the believer learned to drink. Now here is the truth about tapping into resources. The water that I will give will become a spring. There's no inherent natural spring. It's a gift. The water that I give, the gift becomes a gusher. But the resources are not ours. They are the gift. They are the gift of grace. And the reason I close that is this. We need a power for living. We need a power for living. Amen? We need the Holy Spirit in us. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is excess, dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Learn to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make melody in your heart. In other words, that you can live with a joy that's overflowing when you learn this resource, that there can be a fountain tapped into that never extinguishes, never runs dry, that you can live off the resources of God when everything around you seems to be crashing and everyone around you seems to be running. There's a source where you can find that you did not know, but then you saw, and then you tasted, and then you tapped into, and you found It's never going to be exhausted. No matter how much I drink, it's still there the same. No matter how much I partake of it, there's a life on the inside of us that God wants to overflow. He doesn't want us to live empty. He wants us to live full. With every eye closed this morning, head bowed, could you just ask the Lord a question? Lord, am I living up to being a good steward? Lord, am I being a good steward? If not, Lord, would you help me right now? Lord, my seat right now has become an altar. And Lord, right here, right now, I want to do business with you, Lord God. I don't want to squander any more days of my life, Lord. Would you teach me your ways? Would you lead me in your truth, God? Would you teach me to master the moment I'm in right now, God? I've been trying to run. God, may I find that there's a source of life that does not exist apart from a work of your grace. Lord, help me to live off grace. Help me to live in grace and help me to find, Lord God, that there's no situation that I'll face with your grace at work within me that's too difficult. Lord, would you turn the dynamic of our life, Father God? May we begin to see the picture begin to change and begin to turn, Lord God. May we begin to see a dynamic aspect, Lord God, of ministry begin to flow through your people into our communities and begin to rise up in such a way, God, that the culture itself is directly combat it, and we begin to see those who in their heart of hearts, Lord, want to be removed from this uh, non-living existence, Lord, into the place where there's abundant life. Lord Jesus, my prayer right now is that the joy of the Holy Ghost would fill us, that your spirit would overflow within us, and that we would live a life that's pleasing to you in every moment and every hour in the little moments, in the big moments, in the mundane, Lord, and in those appointed times, Lord, that whatever we do, we would always be all in, living with a passion for your name. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We praise you for your presence. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that this would, Lord, tap into us. Lord, that we would begin to make the changes that are necessary, Lord, to live a life that's pleasing to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. There's a lot of things to think about. To be honest with you, I'd love to have a, 
just altar call right now. And say, Lord, I need you. Because the reality is this. We run away into those moments where we're just distracted. And there's those points and times in our life where we could just sit at the feet of Jesus and be transformed. There's a river. You've got to find that, folks, as believers. Because you know what? I was reading Chambers this morning. Anyone who reads my utmost for his highest, he was saying literally that others, before they learn to feast on Jesus, they learn to feast on you. And we become broken bread and poured out wine, as it were. And you know what exhausts believers more than anything? It's not discouragement. It's ministry. And ministry will just wear you out. And if you don't know where to go for a fountain, then you're going to be burned out because people will draw from you. Your family will draw from you. You feel, you know, people will come for you. People look to you and they'll draw from you. And, and the work of they're trying to do something will just, just suck you dry. You got to learn there's a fountain. Amen. It's a secret. It's a mystery. But it's accessible. And he wants us to learn to find that place. Like Psalm 1, tree planted by the rivers. It bears fruit in season and his leaf never withers. And whatever he does prospers. Amen. God bless you.